Good evening and uh, welcome to worship this evening. Our call to worship comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Our scripture reading for this evening comes from two passages. Uh, the first passage is Second Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14. And we'll also be reading from Ezekiel 36, verse 16 through 28. Second Chronicles 7, verse 13 and 14. If I shut up heaven, this is the Lord speaking, and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Please turn with me to now to Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36, verse 16 to 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanliness of a removed women. Wherefore, I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you, ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God." when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. 
Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. So far, the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Next, let's make confession of faith. Uh, From the Westminster, a larger catechism, question four and five. A question four. How doth it appear that the scriptures are the word of God? Answer, the scriptures manifest themselves to be the word of God, by their majesty and purity, by the consent of all the parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God by their light and power to convince and convert sinners, to comfort and build up believers unto salvation. But the Spirit of God bearing witness by and with the Scriptures in the heart of man is alone able fully to persuade it that they are the very word of God. Question 5. What do the scriptures principally teach? Answer. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Please turn with me in the back of your Psalters to page 73. Page 73. We'll be reading from Lord's Day 36, Lord's Day 36, question 99, what is required in the third commandment? Answer, that we not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God nor by silence or conveyance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Question 100. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? Answer. It undoubtedly is, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. We know that all sin leads to death. But this particular sin, the taking of the Lord's name in vain, the Lord particularly hates this sin as 
His word says, not holding them guiltless who commit it. Plus, as we've just read in our catechism, which our catechism states that the severity of profaning God's name leads to death. We know from Scripture that our Lord is jealous for His name. He will not hold Him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Now, is this a sin? Is this a commandment that we break? You know, we do hear it in the worldly culture around us. We hear people using God's name. We hear people using Jesus' name as a curse word. Or using it as an exclamation of surprise. But as I look around the church and reflect upon my time with many of you, and and you do the same, I'll probably find this actual sin isn't a sin that we particularly commit. I don't regularly hear people verbally using the Lord's name as a curse word. Generally speaking, we tend to treat it with respect when we do use the Lord's name. So perhaps this is a Lord's day we should skip. Why don't we concentrate on those sins that we deal with more? Well, we do know that if we break one commandment, we are in fact breaking them all. So maybe we we shouldn't overlook this one either. But if we read through the Westminster Larger Catechism, and we look at how they deal with the third commandment, they start to open our eyes a little bit and start to show us that though we may not be verbally using God's name as a curse word, yet we are just just as guilty as for profaning God's name. So I'd actually like to read just one question from the Westminster Larger Catechism, and it's question 113. And it says here, what are the sins forbidden in the third commandment? The answer, the sins forbidden in the third commandment are the not using of the Lord's name as it is required and the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, profane, superstitious, or wicked mentioning or otherwise using his titles, attributes, ordinances, or works by blasphemy, perjury, all sinful cursings, oaths, vows, and lots, violating of our oaths and vows, if lawful, and fulfilling them. If of things unlawful, murmuring and quarreling at, curious prying into and misapplying of God's decrees and providences, misinterpreting, misapplying or in any way perverting the word or in any part of it to profane jest, curious or unprofitable questions, vain janglings or the maintaining of false doctrines, abusing it, the creatures or anything contained under the name of God, to charms or sinful lusts and practices, the maligning, scorning, reviling, or any wise opposing of God's truth, grace, and ways, making profession of religion in hypocrisy, or for sinister ends, being ashamed of it or ashamed to it by unconformable, unwise, unfruitful, and offensive walking, or backsliding from it. So they mention a, a lot of things there and 
in the Westminster Larger Catechism. And I think the point they're making here and the point that I hope we see in, in, in the sermon today is that we are always profaning God's name. As the covenant children of God, as creatures created by God, any time we sin, we are in fact profaning God's name. And as we look at the text we have before us Second Chronicles 7, uh, verse 14, and Ezekiel 36, 16 to 28. I hope it will become clear to us that even though we may not specifically use God's name as a curse word or in an irreverent manner, yet we st- stand condemned for our continual breaking of this commandment. And that is God's covenant people, we will be called to a greater account of our breaking or our lack of keeping this commandment, a greater account than the world is in fact held to. But I hope we also find today that even though we will be held to a greater account, yet we are abundantly privileged because the Lord has attached so much value And significance to his name. And this has so much to do with us. Our message this evening is titled, Called to Honor God's Name. And the first thing we'll look at is we are called by God's name. We have profaned God's name. And we are sanctified in God's name. If you look at me, if you look with me at 2 Chronicles 7, I'll just give a little bit of a context here where it is. Solomon has just dedicated the temple. He has prepared a house for the Lord to dwell in. The Lord then appears to him by night and says in verses 13 and 14, If I shut up heaven and there be no rain, if I command the locusts to deliver the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Here we see God's graciousness. We see his, his willingness to hear his people. We see his willingness to forgive their sin. His willingness to heal the land of, of Israel. Israel's God, he's bound to his people. He's faithful to them. When they sin, he will be, he as a loving father will punish them so that they would turn to him and repent so that they would turn to him and live. But I especially want to look at, at one phrase that we find here where the Lord says, if my people which are called by my name Names are important. We value our name. It's, it's a big part of our identity. We use our name to, to claim ownership of, of things. 
When we buy a house or we buy a, a car, we put the deed in our name. We, we write our name on things that we own. Maybe children, you write your name on your pencil case or your notebook or your, your binder. Some of us maybe have personal, personalized license plates with our name on it. Maybe we have a sign outside of our home that, that has our, our name on it saying that the Joneses live here. We put our name on valuable things that we own. We sign our name to things that we create. We put it on artwork. But what do we call by our name? What do we give our name to? And I can only think of two instances when we give our name to something. We do this when we get married... And when we have or adopt children. So what is amazing here is that the Lord not only puts his name on his people. He not only owns all of creation and owns his people. In a sense, he signed his name to each of us as we were created. But he goes further than this. He comes and he calls his people by his name. He brings us into his family. He claims his people as his bride. He claims them as his children. He shows his covenant love for his children. And this only isn't a dedication to his people when they are faithful. But also when they are unfaithful. We see this here in Second Chronicles. Look, look what's happening. This is a, this, the Lord is saying this during a time when everything is going so well. The temple has just been dedicated. The people are worshiping the Lord. The kingdom is at its greatest of its, as it ever will be. What does the Lord say? Now it is in answer to Solomon's prayer. But what, if you look back, you'll see Solomon's prayer. But what does the Lord say? He doesn't say, when things are good, I will hear my people. No. He didn't say that this people are only his people in circumstances of obedience and prosperity. But he says that this people are called by his name even when his chastisement and his judgment are upon them, when they have backslidden and wandered from the Lord. The Lord knew what this people would do. He knew that they would forsake him. He knew they would spurn his love. Yet he chooses to call them by his name. And he promises that when they sin, if they shall humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God chose to call a people by his name, not because they deserved it. Or he foreknew that they would be a people that would obey him. This certainly wasn't the case. But because it was his sovereign good pleasure.
Like the Israelites, we know we too are God's covenant people. And the Lord's covenant promises have have expanded to include his entire church, both Jew and Gentile. And we too are not just owned by God and a special part of his creation, but he has called each one of you by his name. Now, of course, this does not mean that we are in any way God. But yet we are brought into the family of God. We are given, in a sense, the family name of God. The church is Christ's bride. The people of his church are are his children. So what what a blessing it is that we are brought into God's family, that we are baptized in his name and we receive his covenant promises. But this great blessing, it comes with great responsibility. The I am, Yahweh, creator of all, all knowing, everywhere present, all powerful, infinite, holy God called the Israelites and calls you and me by his great name. What happens when you are born or you take on a last name? Let's say you become a Jones. You are now a representative of the Jones family. How you act, how you carry yourself is a testimony to the character of your family. You have an influence upon how others view your family. You can improve maintain or tarnish the reputation of your family. If you act in a wicked or distasteful way, that will reflect upon the name of your family. We're seeing this going on in our politics right now where children of important figures in politics affect the family name. This is also true for the people called by God's name. The Israelites represent, were to represent God, or they did represent God to the nations around them. How they acted, how they spoke, how they worshipped their God. It was a witness to the nations of who God was. But the same is true for us today. We are called by God's name and being in his family By having his name, we are his representatives in this world. How we act, how we speak, the motivations of our heart which are betrayed by our actions are a testimony to the world about our Heavenly Father and have direct implication on the Lord's name and his reputation in the world. We are called by the Lord to be his faithful representatives And this is something that neither Israel nor us have done well. And as those called by God's name, we have in fact been diligent in profaning his name. Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Ezekiel 36, and I'll read it this time, 16 through 19. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanliness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way, and according to their doings, I judged them. The people of Israel, a people called by God's name, had defiled themselves. They had become unclean in the Lord's eyes. The word defiled here refers to to spiritual adultery, sexual impurity, and, and contact with the unclean. The people of Israel, as being unclean, were no longer fit to serve the Lord. They had served devilish idols, even engaging in fertility rituals and the offering up of their own children for sacrifices. They had polluted their land with idolatry. They had not cared for the poor, orphans, or elderly. They had corrupted and perverted justice. They had not sought the help of the Lord, but went to wicked nations for aid, even giving them the treasures from the temple for their help. They had utterly defiled themselves and made themselves unclean before the Lord. In fact, Ezekiel says here that they were unclean like a removed woman. This is a woman in her menstrual cycle. Now, I want to make it clear here that this woman isn't in sin. But the loss of blood, which symbolized death, that rendered one unclean and unfit to be in contact with the realm of life. Israel was unclean. Their sin was making them unfit to worship the Lord. Their impurity, their defilement of God's name made it so that their worship of God could not be accepted. In fact, it was an abomination to the Lord. And this covenant people of God had sworn time and time again that they would keep God's covenant. But they broke it continually in many different and wicked ways. And therefore we see the Lord brought his covenant curses upon this people. They were brought into captivity to a foreign nation. And the city and temple in which they were no longer uh, worthy to worship in were both destroyed. These are the people that were to be a witness to all the nations around them. They were to show the Gentiles that they were God's people. They were to live holy and righteous and just lives as a witness of who their Lord is. They were to be a light on the hill to the Gentiles. So that the Gentiles would recognize that their God, the Lord God, is God. And that they would turn away from their idols and turn to Him. They were made in the image of God. They were called by God's name. But they did not reflect that image. They did not show that they were the children of God. But in fact, they showed that they were the children of God. Of the devil. 
They were unclean and wicked. But since they were called by God's name, when they were looked at by the other nations, their wickedness became associated with the name of the Lord. And so the Lord punished them and sent them as exiles to Babylon. But when Judah was brought into captivity, Ezekiel says they continued to profane God's name. Ezekiel says, and when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. Now when we first read this, we think that the Israelites, the, the people of Judah who are, who are now in captivity are continuing to actively profane the Lord's name in captivity. And, and no doubt this is true for those who are living wicked lives. But what this captivity would prove to do over the next 70 years is it would purge Israel, would purge the people of Israel from serving idols, and, and much of their wickedness would be eradicated. We see this when they come back out of the land. But I want you to look at these words of Ezekiel a little bit more carefully, and, and that helps us understand what he's actually saying here. If we look at what the Gentiles say in this verse, we get a, a clearer picture of exactly how the people of Judah are profaning God's name while in exile. Let's look what the Gentiles say. They say, these are the people of the Lord, and they are gone out of his land. The Gentiles notice that Yahweh's people are not living in his land. They notice that these people who were promised to become a great nation, but they're now living in a, in a strange land. They're not living in the promised land. And the Gentiles would have known something about the Lord's promises to his people. His promises to them of being a great nation, of being a special people. And yet here they are, nationless and strangers in a foreign land. And no doubt, the Gentiles in Babylon looked at the Jewish captives and they thought, they said their God is almighty and that he would make them a great nation, yet they have been conquered and are no longer even a small nation. Their God must not be a great God after all. We even get a hint of this in Psalm 137 where the captives taunt the Israelites, sing us one of the songs of Zion. What's being pointed out here by Ezekiel is that the fact that the Jewish people are, are living outside of the promised land, this discredits God's name just by that fact. It causes his name to be profaned among the heathen. Therefore, Israel is not only, has not only profaned God's name through their wickedness, but also as they live out the punishment for their wickedness and sin, in a foreign land. Now as we reflect upon ourselves, again maybe we think we're not like the people of Judah. We don't profane God's name by worshiping idols such as Baal or Moloch. We don't commit, commit the same wickedness as, wickedness as them. 
But if we really examine our hearts, we'll, we'll see that our hearts prove otherwise. After all, it is our hearts. It was Israel's hearts that was the root of their problem, the root of our problem, the root of our desecration of God's name. Israel's outward observance of bringing sacrifices to the temple, of calling themselves the people of God, was not enough. So our outward observation of religion apart from a changed heart is a stench in God's nostrils. It's a pile of filthy rags. This was a problem for the Israelites as well. They worshipped the Lord and it usually continued in the temple. For much of their time they were a nation. They often called themselves the people of God. But the problem was they didn't look like the people of God. They didn't sound like the people of God. They didn't have the changed heart of a child of God. And this is why we see, if you, if you look through the Old Testament, you see texts such as these where the Lord says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies, though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take you away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Let judgment run down as waters and righteousness. As a mighty stream. It's not as if the Lord didn't want them to obey his law or make sacrifices. But the Lord wanted it done out of thankfulness for his promises. He wanted it done from a true heart that truly loved him and his neighbor. Micah the prophet speaks to this. He asked, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with then thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? The Lord requires our hearts. Outward show is not enough for us, the people called by his name. He has made us his people. He has given us great and precious promises. He opens his arms wide and invites us into his kingdom. And what does the Lord require of us? He requires our hearts. He wants us to have hearts that are changed so that we look like his people. So that we're perfect image bearers from the inside out. His requirement for us in the third commandment is not only that we do not profane his name, but that we perfectly honor his name. And the truth is that in us, for us to do that, 
We, his children, who are called by his name, need to perfectly keep each commandment. And we already know we can't do this. We know even as believers that we aren't perfect representatives of the name that we've been called by. We continue to profane God's name. And outside of Christ, each of us stands condemned before our Father. But we have a sure hope. We stand guilty before God for our breaking of the third commandment. And as believers, our lives do not perfectly match up with our profession. Our sins contradict the fact that we are called by our God's name. And whether it is the people of Judah or us, we stand guilty before God for our breaking of this commandment. But let's look at the rest of these verses in Ezekiel 36. Because not only does our breaking of the third commandment, our profaning of God's holy name condemn us, but we also find much perfect hope in the Lord's name. And the fact that he has brought us into his family. Look at what the Lord says in Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 21. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. We are guilty. But our Lord is faithful to his promises. We see here he would deliver Israel from captivity. He would bring them back to their land so that the Lord Jesus Christ could be born, so that his great kingdom could be established, so that that he could live the holy and perfect life that we cannot live, so that he could die on the cross and bear God's wrath for our sin. Our Lord is faithful to his promises. Judah stood condemned because of their sin, yet the Lord would not go back on his promises. He would not abandon those called by his name. For his own name's sake, he would have mercy upon them. The fact that his people were not in the land that he promised, and that this was causing his name to be profaned among the heathen, This is why the Lord's saying here, I will have mercy for my own name's sake. If for no other reason but for his own name, the Lord will have mercy. 
those of you who are sitting here and are not believers, you have not you who have not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is that you only profane God's name continually. But you are not beyond hope. But your hope is not in yourself, in your ability to please God through your works, through your religious service, through your outward respectability. Your hope is in the Lord and His willingness to work in your heart. The Lord's gracious to all sinners who come to Him for, to, for salvation. But He's especially gracious to those who have been called by His name. This is your pleading ground. You can take this fact to the Lord. Lord, I've been baptized. I've been called by your name. Your desire is that I would serve you from the heart and and not profane your name. And based upon this sure knowledge, this sure promise, your God calls you to repent, to believe and follow him. As Sinclair Ferguson says, Christ is dead for you. So turn to this Christ, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and see what he has done for sinners like you. And dear weak, backsliding, backsliding Christian, the fact that you are called by God's name is a comfort to you as well. The Lord has called you by his name and he will be faithful to his name. And it's because of his name and the precious promises that he has given you that you can go forward by faith. Forward to greater faith. Forward in abandoning the sin that has ensnared you. He will guide you. He will help you. He will never leave or forsake you. We look at these things, especially the things of the heart, and we look at them and we say, this is impossible. These are things we cannot do. I can't change my heart. That's right, you can't. But the Lord can do what we cannot do. The Lord comes to us and he says, further, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. To the people of Judah, this was a promise of a new covenant. A promise of the day when the Lord would pour out his spirit in a greater measure upon his people. A promise of the Lord's coming at Pentecost. But this is still a precious promise for us today. A precious promise for us believers who still see ourselves profaning God's name and not honoring his name as we ought to honor it. The Lord wants our hearts. He wants our entire lives. 
He wants us to live for his glory. And we can stay where we are, stagnant in our faith, only lamenting our sin of profaning God's holy name. Or we can move forward by faith. And we move forward not because we can in our own strength, not because we have it in ourselves, but we move forward because of our Lord's great promises. Because he has promised to be faithful. Because he has called us by his name. We can move forward in his strength and his promises that his spirit is working in our hearts. We can move forward to honor our Lord and Savior more in our lives. Because our God has said that he delights to work his will in us. He delights to forgive our sins. He delights to, cle- to cleanse us from our un- uncleanliness. He delights to change our hearts. He says he will put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his statutes, to keep his judgments and to do them. So knowing all this, and hearing God's precious promises to you who are called by his name, How does this affect your life? Is this a message that we add to our encyclopedia of religious knowledge? Is this a message that we take and say, well, I'm called by God's name. I think I'm saved and I think I'm going to heaven. So I'm good. I'm just going to go out now and live for myself. If you're thinking either of these things, you're, you're missing the point of this message. You're missing the point of Scripture. God calls us by His name because He wants us to look like Him. He wants us to be the faithful bride of Jesus Christ, to be His faithful children. He wants out of us out of thankfulness for what He has done to, to honor His name. It's easy for us to become defeatists, to become passive in this, to stay where we are. But holiness and godliness, it it involves hard work. We're not passive in sanctification. It involves hard work in which we lean upon the Holy Spirit to change us. To not only open our eyes to our sin, but also to work hard to eradicate this sin from our lives. And we don't only need to get rid of the ways we profane the name of Christ, but we need to be active and seeking to honor our amazing and wonderful Savior in our daily lives. He gave everything for us. He set us free and is waiting for us in glory. Therefore, let us strive to honor his great name in this coming week. Knowing his promise that he's working in us, he's changing our hearts. Let's strive to reflect him. Let us strive to live out the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, And temperance. Let us strive to love our God with our whole heart and our neighbor as ourself. 
based on his precious promises. Let us not be afraid to take steps of faith, but be unrelenting in our pursuit of godliness. Be unrelenting in our pursuit of holiness and and being encouraged to witness to others this coming week. Now some may look at this, this striving for godliness, this striving for holiness, and you may call it legalism. You may look at it and say it's some sort of works-based religion. What if it's your desire to live your life for the honor and glory of the Lord, out of thankfulness for his work of sovereign grace in your heart? And you're resting upon his promises for your sanctification. I say to you, dear Christian, run this race. Fight this fight. Praying that your life will be a brilliant testimony of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you would be a faithful witness of him to the world. Amen. Our holy, holy, holy Lord, worthy is thy name. And dear Lord, we pray. We pray that we would begin, that we would Honor thy great name. Lord, help us to faithfully witness of thy name as we we look forward to that great day when we will perfectly honor thy name. When we will cry together with with thy other saints, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. Let us take thy name seriously. Let us cling to the precious promises embedded in thy name. And as thy children live as children of light in this world. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.